0: Church, please join me in giving a warm welcome to Pastor Matt Moore. Thank you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. So my name is Matt Moore, and we're in Sacramento area. And during the pandemic, as you guys were displaced, so were we. We were out of high school, and then we lost our facility. And so we went online, and then we were in my backyard, and During the pandemic, um, we were united with another church. Uh, There was a lot of kids in the neighborhood that weren't going to school, obviously, but in our neighborhood, kids weren't even going online, and so it was estimated that 30 to 40 percent, 30-ish percent of the kids didn't even log on once during the pandemic, and so you could just imagine how far behind they got. And so we decided to bring these kids together and uh, help them get on Zoom and um then we were doing it with another church, and pretty soon we in this other church were like, "Hey, we work pretty well together. This this makes sense." And so, about a year ago, this Sunday actually, uh, God merged our churches together, and so um, now I'm co-pastoring the church, which gets which allows me to float around and preach at other churches. So I'm glad I get to be here today, and I'm glad that your pastor, Paul, is here. I've known him for about five, six years, and we served together on the EFCA board for this area. So um, I want to talk to you today about the gospel. You guys know the gospel, right? Yeah, amen, amen. Well, it was about 15 years ago that a buddy of mine that I was apparently discipling told me that I didn't understand the gospel. And so this was, like, I just finished with seminary, you know, so when you get done with seminary, you know everything, so you think, and this dude told me, he's like, Matt, I, I know that you, you know the gospel, like, I know you know how to, like, pull it out of your pocket and share it with somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus, but, like, do you know how the work of Christ impacts your day today? I'm like, yeah, I think he's like... And so he began in that moment to open the book of Galatians with me and show me how the gospel still impacts us as believers today. Because I used to think that the gospel was that thing you would pull out to share with an unbeliever, and it would give us hope in the moment. It would change us. It would bring us to salvation. And then it would get us there at death's door to be with God. So I knew it had... like. Implications in the past, I knew it had implications in the future, but I couldn't really articulate the power of the gospel today. And so I want you to think about this like, what would you say is the gospel? Like, what is the message of Jesus? We might say that, you know, Jesus is Lord, He's Savior, He's King. Some people we would say that the gospel is like just kind of knowing these two facts, like knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Okay, so we're good. And then he rose again three days later. And so like if you believe those two historical facts, you're good. And I would say, yes, but do you live your life in light of those two historical facts? Do you experience today, or as you think of yesterday, Did the implication of Christ dying on the cross and then him raising from the dead, did that change anything about your attitude, your disposition, your attitude towards sin yesterday? Have you seen that? Because I used to think that God saved me. He kind of gave me a good tap on the tush and said, head that direction. You're going to get there. I'm going to finish the good work that I started in you. But it was kind of like up to me to navigate it and figure it out. That's the way I was living. That's the way I was discipling people. That's the way I was teaching. And luckily, this buddy of mine was bold enough to just say, hey, I think somewhere you just have exited the gospel a bit. Like, I know you know it, but I'm just not seeing you live it. And so what I wanna do today is talk to us who believe about what the gospel is and how that it still impacts our life today. And so obviously, you guys have been Part of church for a bit, so you, this is, a lot of this is going to be review, but again, for me, I needed that reminder, even coming out of seminary, that I had somehow missed pieces of the gospel that had implications for my life today. So if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to be skirting through all the way to chapter 5, but here's how it starts. This is how Paul starts. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Most of the time when Paul writes a letter, he's like very gushy and touchy-feely. He's like, every time I think of you, I thank God for you, and I'm grateful for our partnership in the gospel. Right out of the gates, Paul, to the Galatians, these churches in this region, he says, I'm astonished. Like, I'm shocked. It blows my mind that somehow, way, you have exited the gospel. So you know immediately when you read this, like, buckle up. Like, this is going to be a little bit of a slap in the face. So as you continue reading, he doesn't soften up. Look at chapter 3. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Is that encouraging? I mean, I wouldn't want to be like somebody to say, you know, foolish people in Santa Rosa. Like, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to hear that. So still, Paul is like, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And What's the answer to that? By faith. Like, we get that. We got that. That's the gospel. This is the point, verse 3, the whole point of Galatians. It says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That was me. Like, I knew I was saved by faith. I knew that the way I, like, got into my relationship with God was by faith. But this is where I tripped up. I tripped up just like the Galatians did. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I would look at my life and like most of what I did was kind of because of me. I'm like, I'm resisting that sin. I'm following God. I'm reading. I'm praying. I, 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 me, 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 me. There was a lot of like me in my walk with the Lord. Yeah, I gave him credit for salvation, but my sanctification, I was like looking at me. And the Galatians, Paul's telling them, like, you know that you began by the Spirit, you began by faith, why are you now trying to perfect yourself by the flesh? Now, look where he heads here, chapter 5. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul's talking about this idea of freedom. He says, you've been called to this freedom. He doesn't describe yet what this freedom is, but he says there is a freedom in Christ. He has set you free. Stand firm in it. Don't submit again to this yoke of slavery. Don't submit to this religious life. A religious life is where people like strive to perfect themselves. Do this, don't do this, say this, don't say this. It's like a lot of people's Christianity is defined by these well-defined rules, these levels of accountability, these boundaries. It's, it's self-righteous religion with a little bit of a relationship. He's saying here, watch out for a religious life. Now look down at verse 13. He says it again, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So he says, first, you were called to freedom, don't go into a religious life. Now he's saying, you were called to freedom, don't go into a reckless life. Just because you think you just because you know you're saved, don't think, well, I can live however the heck that I want now. Now Look at where he heads. He begins to tunnel into this a little bit more deeply. Verse 16, this is where we're going to start camping and sitting and soaking in the text. Says there, but I say to you, whenever you see that word, but in scripture, he's changing directions. He's saying, it's not this religious life. It's not this reckless life. But what I'm saying to you is walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So think about that. If somehow, way, we can figure out how to walk by the Spirit, look at the promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So think about the desires of the flesh that are inside of you. All those wants, like, I wish I could, I want to, I really can't. I, like All I want to do is think about that or sink my teeth into this or watch this, whatever it may be. It says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the promise. So you just think of like the struggle that a lot of us face with sin. The promise here is if somehow, way, we can figure out how to walk by the Spirit, we will not live a reckless life. We will not just be given in constantly to our sinful desires. Why? Look at verse 17. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So have you guys ever experienced that wrestling inside of you? You know, just like where you're like, oh, yeah, and it's like, it's, it's more than just your conscience. It's more, it's like there's a struggle where you're wanting to do something, but you're being resisted and you're being held back. That wrestling... Is the Spirit of God. That was like super encouraging for me when I read this years ago, just realizing like some people talk about experiencing the Spirit of God with goosebumps, you know, or it needs to be like this elated mountaintop experience. And I don't always experience the Spirit of God that way. Sometimes, yes, but not all the time. Yet daily I experience this. I say something like stupid to my wife and like, Ooh, oh, wow, shouldn't have said that. Like I overreact with my kids or yell at them and get upset with them. It's like that wrestling, that's the spirit of God working in that moment in us. And that's super confirming. So rather than like beating myself up and being like, how could I have said that? How could I have reacted like that? It's like, no, no, no. It's a confirming moment that when I see sin and I experience that wrestling, God's got me. He's like, you're mine. I'm working in you. I'm fighting for you. I'm warring against your flesh. Isn't that encouraging? Because when I was convicted before, I was like... Again, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Again, I'm wrestling with sin. I should be over this by now. Instead, this verse gave me hope that when I wrestle, God's like, I'm fighting for you. You're mine. I'm gonna finish the work that I started in you. And this is proof. This experience that you're having right now shows you that I'm actively loving you and working in you. So if we walk by the Spirit, We won't live a reckless life, and at the same time, it says, verse 18, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. If we're, that's the same thing, right? Walk by the Spirit, be led by the, it's like the same command said two different ways. So if you walk by the Spirit, you won't live a reckless life. If you are led by the Spirit, you won't live a religious life. You know, a lot of us, we view the gospel as like this 12-step program. Like I have to do this and not do this and say this and don't say this. That's not what we're called to, right? We're called to this relationship with God, right? So think about it like this. If you were to ask me, how my relationship with Sarah, my wife is. And if I were to tell you, well, it's good. Like I take out the trash. I compliment her. I give her flowers. I do the honeydew list. Most of it, most of the time. You'd be like, that's a weird way to describe your relationship with Sarah. Just like complimenting her, getting her flowers. You're you're describing the do's of the relationship, not the emotions and the feelings. But is that not what we do in our relationship with the Lord? Like we ask somebody, like, how, how are you and God doing? Well, I'm, I'm good, good. I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm serving, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And, or we say, no, it's not so good. I'm not serving, not praying, not giving, not loving, not, not, not. Again, like, we're called into this relationship to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, but we tend to veer towards do this, don't do this, say this, don't say this, think this way. Again, it's not that the commands are not important, It's just that's not the relationship. The relationship is walking, being led by the Spirit, and we won't fall into these traps of a religious life or a reckless life. Okay, so I put this chart up here. For you kids, you'll love this, hopefully. Okay, so here is how I led most of my Christianity. I was at sometimes living a reckless life, and I would do that for a bit living in this world, just like however the heck I want. I would be like, well, I can continue in sin that grace may abound. He's forgiving. So I live over here. And what happens when you live over here for a bit? You start feeling bad and convicted. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make it up to God. So I swing over here and I live a, a religious life for a bit, right? And so I do this, don't do this, say this, don't say this. And then what happens after a while living over here? burnout. Yeah, you're burdened, and you're like overwhelmed, and so you're like, I need a break. So then I'm going to swing over here and live a reckless life again. So back and forth, I swang, okay? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get smart. I'm going to live in the center. I don't want to get all crazy reckless because I don't want people rebuking me for my sin. I I don't want to get all crazy religious because I don't want people thinking that I'm holier than thou. so I'm going to live here in the center. But that's spiritual mediocrity, That the whole spectrum between a a reckless life and a religious life—that's all about me. That, That it's nothing about God. People are not seeing Christ on either end of the pendulum or anywhere in between. Think about this: when we're living a reckless life, what is the world saying about us? What's that? Hypocrites! You guys are just hypocrites. You say one thing, do another. They're not seeing Christ there. Well, over here, what are they seeing when we're living a religious life? Pharisees, goody-two-shoes, holier-than-thou, judgmental, right? So we're not showing Christ anywhere in this spectrum. And Paul's saying, this is not what you've been called to. This is not the gospel. The gospel is not a reckless life. The gospel is not a religious life. So what is the gospel? What is life and life in its fullest? Well, Paul goes on here, and he starts by saying this is what it's not. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, all he's saying here is the works of the flesh, they're evident, they're obvious. It's kind of like, no, duh. Like, we all know what the works of the flesh are. If you read the list sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are sins against oneself. And then idolatry, sorcery, those are sins against God. And then the rest, enmity, strife, jealousy, those are sins against others. So like, we know, it is obvious, it is crystal clear, anyone knows when you're living in the flesh. Because you're reading, you're tracking with Paul, you're like, okay, I need to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. What does that look like? And he's like, well, it doesn't look like this. Everybody knows what it doesn't look like. Okay, so track with me. You guys got that? Now, let me just throw something out there that, just track with this. So like, it doesn't say anywhere in this passage, don't do these things. Okay. Elsewhere in scripture, it commands, thou shall not do all of these things. But in this passage, it's not commanding us, thou shall not do these things. There's no command here. The only command so far is walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit. And it says, if you walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, you won't do these things. The the outcome of walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is you won't do these things. Well, what will you do? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice also, there's no command here. Often we read Scripture... And we're like, okay, here's the 13 to 15 thou shall not, I cannot, 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 cannot. And here are the thou must do, must do, must do. And we're heaping up for ourselves these commands. And at least in this passage, it's not commanding us that. All it's commanding us so far is verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. And it's saying, you won't do this and you will do that. Okay, so why am I emphasizing this? Think about it like a fruit tree. If you're rooted in the spirit, you're going to see good fruit, right? Okay, so picture this. I was going to use a fruit tree, but there's vines around here. There's a lot of vines, right? So say, what's a, what's a vineyard guy called? Is he a farmer or a vinologist? Or? Okay. okay, say that dude is out there... And say you see him with a Trader Joe's bag and he's pulling out bunches of grapes and he's taping them on the vines. And then he goes down and, he, and you're like driving down the highway and you're like seeing this dude and he's in there in the vines just taping, maybe stapling, duct taping on bunches of grapes. And say you pull over, you're courageous enough to pull over and you're like, bro, what are you doing? And he's like... Well, my vines didn't produce anything this year, no fruit, and so my neighbors have fruit. I don't want to look out of place, and so I decided to get some bunches of grapes and put them on my vines. You'd be like, bro, that looks even more ridiculous. Like, that doesn't make any sense, and yet is that not what we do with Christianity? We look around, and we're like, we don't see joy on our vines or on our branches, and so we're like, I'm just going to smile and we don't see patience and so we pretend to like somebody but we just want them to stop talking and we we're just we pretend to be patient but we're not patient we pretend to be loving but like we just we don't want to give any more to that person like so we duct tape this plastic fruit or this fake fruit on our trees on our vines and yet that's not what we're called to this passage says If we walk by the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, we will not do the works of the flesh. And we will just inevitably, naturally, let me say supernaturally, see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, display it on our trees. Doesn't that just like take a burden off? Like... You mean like, I just need to keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and you will do the works of removing the fleshly deeds from my life? All those things that I don't want to do, you'll just naturally, supernaturally work them out? And you'll put in my life love, joy, pe- Like, that takes a lot of burden, a lot of pressure off. And that's what Paul is calling us to. So, is if you're tracking with this passage, you're probably thinking, okay, okay, maybe, okay, maybe I'm believing what you're saying. Like, I'm seeing it in the text, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, but like, how? Like, how do we do this? Because it just seems easier just to avoid those 15 things and just to put on those 7 or 8, 9 things, right? Well, Paul tells us, and look where he goes. He goes to the gospel. Verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So let's go back to verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. It repoints us, the gospel. It repoints us to the work of Christ. So remember, we we pull out the gospel out of our pocket when we meet a yet-to-believe person, and we're like, I want to share the hope of Jesus. And so we share with them about the work of Jesus on the cross, because we're like, we don't want you to die in your sins. We don't want you to die in the penalty of your sins and go to hell. And so we share with them that hope. Well, do you realize that each day we can pull out that same truth and apply it to our lives? It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, here's the cross, have crucified the flesh with what? It's passions and desires. We're talking inside of us. You know, on my best day, I can behavior modify my life, right? On my best day, I can behavior mod and be like, hands don't touch, eyes don't look, mind don't think, but I can't change my heart because I'm like, I still want to look, I'm not looking, but oh my word, I want to look, I want to long, I want whatever it may be. Do you realize that those who belong to Christ Jesus, according to this passage, have crucified its flesh with its passions and desires? So like at a heart level, something is dying daily in us. That word, the way it's structured in the Greek, have crucified, it's the perfect tense. It's something that happened in the past and has ongoing implications. So in other words, you believe in the cross in the past, and then it keeps on hitting you day in and day out. Like you're crucified, you're crucified. That flesh that was nailed to the cross, it's there again, it's there again. It's like constantly being crucified. It's not a one-time act. It's ongoing implications of Christ's cross, his death. No matter, like I said, no matter how hard I try, to adjust my outside. God, the gospel, is the only one that can change my inside. That's hope for me. Because when I find myself, I'm like, God, I have done everything. I have obeyed, and yet I still feel like I can't do what's in this book. God, I need you. God, help me. God, change my desires. And have you ever experienced him actually do that? Where the things you used to want, you don't want as much anymore. You're like, I remember when that thought consumed me. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't as much anymore. Do you think that was you? No, that was God in you shifting and changing and transforming so that the things that you used to want, you're like, ah, they're not that appealing anymore. And the things that you never wanted, you're like, I kind of want to do the things of God. That's Christ crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. Look at verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Again, we've heard this before, right? It said in verse 16, remember, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18 said, be led led by the Spirit. Now, verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with Him. So, like, in other words, we have the Spirit, so, like, let's get in cadence with Him. Let's walk with the Spirit that we have been promised. So, same command is said three different times. And again, you might be thinking like me, okay, cool, got it, God, but how? Like, how do I obey, walk by the Spirit? That just seems mystical. That seems like theory. What does that look like? So let me let me explain it by way of analogy. I think part of it is learn by doing. Like I went to Cal Poly, the motto was learn by doing. Like we would be in a classroom, we kind of learn a theory, a concept, and then they'd be like, go out to the cow pastures. I was a civil engineer. So it would be like, you go out and you begin to put in points and survey things. So it's like, you get it in concept, on the screen, on the projector, and then it's like, Go live this out. So I would say part of this is you got to get out there and do it. Like you can't teach baseball to somebody without actually putting on a glove. You can explain the trajectory of a pitch and how to swing a bat, but like you got to get out there and do it. So some of this is learned by doing. But the other piece of it, I would say, is learning dependence. So last weekend we celebrated what? Fourth of July. Independence Day, right? And I would say, obviously, that's the birth of our nation, but I would say that's also the mantra of the United States, like our independence. And we say that somebody is mature when they're independent. Okay, so think of like a baby. We had a baby in here earlier, cute little baby. So when a baby is born, they're completely dependent, and we say they're completely immature, right? So at that point, As a little baby, they can't feed themselves, bathe themselves, go to the bathroom by themselves. They are utterly, totally dependent, and we say immature. Dependence is immaturity. And as they grow to age 18, 20, 25, whenever they move out of the house, we say this person, when they stand on their own two feet, they are financially autonomous, they can feed themselves, bathe themselves, take care. They are independent and therefore mature. So maturity in this world is going from a state of total, utter dependence to you mature to independence, right? Christianity is just the opposite. You go from a state of like, you think you got this, you have life figured out, and then all of a sudden, God humbles you, he saves you, and you have that first moment of utter humility, dependence, saying, God, I need, God, I can't, you must do for me, help me, whatever it is. Then each step of Christianity, maturity, is growing into greater and greater dependence. You guys get that? It's saying, God, I can't do a step a day, I can't think a thought without you. You read a verse like praying without ceasing, and you're like, no duh. Like, I have to have you like that. Like, I need you. It's learning. Maturity is learning dependence with God. So think of those commands again. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's saying, in each moment, God, I can't, I need you. Like, I know what I'm capable of. I know the obedience. I know, like, the ceiling to my obedience, And yet I cannot display the fruit of the spirit like you asked me to. And I cannot fully put off the works of the flesh. So God, you have to change those desires so that I don't even want to want those works of the flesh. Verse 19, 20, and 21. And you got to transform my heart so that I have sincere joy and love and peace. Like you got to do it saying, God, I can't, but you can, so do it in me. That's the life of Christianity. Christianity. That's the good news each day is God not only comes to us and saves us once, but he steps in each and every moment and says, I'll sanctify you. I'll change you. I'm gonna be your hope in this moment. I'm gonna be your power in this moment. That's the good news of the gospel day in and day out. It's like this. So my oldest son, he's 16. And when he was four, he didn't know how to ride his bike by himself, okay? Well, he had a friend that was a girl who was five, who knew how to ride her bike without training wheels. And so he found out about this, and he was like, Dad, I want to learn to ride my bike without training wheels. I'm like, buddy, you'll do it someday, but today's not today. You're not ready yet. And he's like, Dad, I want to do it. I'm like, okay, we'll try. And so this was back in the days of video cameras. So like, he had me get the video camera out. We went down to the school, and I took the wheels off, and he's like, video me, Dad. And I'm like, buddy you don't want to remember this, like this is not going to be good, so I put him on the bike, and I hold the back of his seat, and I'm holding his handlebars, and he's like, I got this, I'm like, whatever, okay, so here we go, so he starts pedaling, and he's kind of getting in, and I'm feeling that he's balancing by himself, and so pretty soon, he's like swatting my hand, he's like, dad, I got this, I'm like, whatever, okay, so I let go, and I'm still holding on, and he's telling me, get the video camera, get the video, I'm doing I'm doing it. So he's riding around, but he doesn't realize that I'm still holding on to the seat, and we're going around, going around, and pretty soon as we're going around turns, he sees that I'm still tracking with him and holding on, and so then he's like, Dad, let go, let go, I got it, so he's swatting me, letting go sometimes on the handlebars, he's like, Dad, I got it, so I'm like, fine, I have insurance, let's let him go, so I just let him go, and for a minute, a moment, he actually rides by himself, and I'm impressed, and I'm like, getting out the camera and I'm like, you're doing it. Like you're balancing. He didn't know how though to steer or stop or avoid the place structure or the school building or the parking curb. He didn't know how to do any of that. And so he crashed, right? And so, but for a minute, a moment, he was doing it by himself and he was pretty impressed with himself. But as soon as I let go, it didn't last that long. And is that not like a picture of our relationship with the Lord? where we think we got it. We're like, God, I've read it. I've been in church for a week and a half. Like, I'm good. Like, I was in Awanas. Or like, I have that verse memorized. I'm good. And we go out, and we ride for a minute, a moment, but then we crash. And that's not what God's called. God's like, I designed you to ride with training wheels. I designed you to be dependent upon my hand holding the seat and my other hand holding the steering wheel or the the handlebars. Like that's like, so we need to approach each day going out, being like, God, I need you. I need you. I need your help to navigate this. This is what Paul is calling us to in the passage. The way he's framing it, he says, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, have God running behind you, holding that bike. That's what we're called to. And is that not so much more enjoyable? Like, you mean, God, like, you didn't just give me this list of things to do and expect me to fulfill it by myself? Like, you said, lo and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age? Like, you've given me a helper, the Holy Spirit? Like, that's so much more encouraging. That's so much more life-giving. That's more of a relationship. So what does that look like? Like I said, most of my Christian life, I was up top there, living a reckless life. Sinning, doing whatever the heck I wanted, and then I felt bad and convicted, and so I'd swing over and make it up to God, and back and forth, I was on that pendulum. Well, a, a dependent life there at the bottom, a life with God, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, looks differently. There's gonna be days where I have a bad day, where I stumble into sin, Right? And do you realize in those moments when you stumble into sin, where you give into that temptation, in those moments you can still experience God? Think about this. It says in 1 John 1, nine, if we confess our sins, this is gospel. This is gospel for today. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in that moment, I'm not living a reckless life. In that moment, I'm coming to God. I'm like, God, here I am in my sin again. I need you to be my savior, to be my redeemer, to be the forgiver, the cleanser of my sin. So in that moment, in that moment, you get to experience a life with God, even on a cruddy day, even on a bad day. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's encouraging to me. I tell my boys this, when they struggle, when they mess up, I'm like, we say in my household, when you mess up, fess up. Like no ifs, ands, or buts, not my sister did this, or my brother, no, 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 no. When you mess up, fess up, and in those moments, immediately you are cleansed, and immediately you are restored. That's encouraging. So you could be, have had the worst night last night, just sinning like the best of them. And God says, if you confess your sins, he's going to rush you with his mercy and forgiveness and restore you. So on our bad days, they're not necessarily going to be reckless days. You just come in humility and dependence and say, God, I need. But then we also have good days where we're like, dude, I was amazing. Like, I shared the gospel with like one and a half people. Like I served, I prayed, I, I, I. And so you realize in those moments, you're like, wow, that was a lot of me. Well, I'm bragging about me. No, God. I know what I'm capable of. You worked through me. You gave me a heart for that person to share the gospel. You loved it through me when I know that I'm not capable of that. God, that was you and me. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, he brags so it seems. He says, "I worked harder than all y'all, but it was not I, but the grace of God in me." So, get this. On a good day, we don't go, hey, look at me, look at my religious life of how I've done all these right things. We're like, no, wow, whoa, God, like I'm not able to love like that and live like that. Wow, you did that in me. And then on bad days, we come to God, we're like, God, look at me, (laughs) look at the mess I created. God, I still need you. That's a relationship. It's not running from God or trying to live up to God. It's not like ignoring God, living a reckless life, and then trying to prove myself to God. No, it's like, God, I messed up. I fess up. I need you. God, look what you did through me. I'm not capable of that. That is the life that we are called to. That is the good news of the gospel that is alive for us today. So let me conclude with this verse. This is earlier in Galatians, and this is, I would say a good verse, I see some of you guys have tattoos, put this one on. Just like ink this in, this is good. Or instead, maybe write it on your shower wall or something. This verse, this concept is everywhere in scripture, but this is a way in which I have found to weave the gospel into the start of my day. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. So start with that being your reality each day. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, So it's not about me today. It's not about Matt today. It's about Christ who lives in me. And the life I live today in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse, I would say, is very centering for us to get us focused again on the gospel. Like, yeah, I believed the gospel in the past, but I want to believe the gospel today. I want that to be my worldview. I want that to be my reality, my narrative, my paradigm, I've crucified. I've been crucified. Every bit of what I see in me, my old self, let it be dead. And every good that I see in me, let it be you, Christ. So let me pray for us as we wrap up today. Father, we ask that this truth that we have here on the screen, we know it to be truth. It's in your word. We ask you, Father, that that would be our reality today. May it bring us hope. May it give us life. Father, we pray that you would work in us. May we not have to look deep into our past to see your hand in our lives, Lord. But as we wrestle with sin today and we experience that struggle, may we praise you that you are working in us. And Father, when we feel that conviction and when we are feeling led to confess our sins, may we again praise you and acknowledge that we are in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that at no moment we would experience condemnation. I pray that we would not feel shame, but may our guilt, our God-given guilt that you grant to us, may that lead us to repentance. So Father, help us today in the highs and lows of our life to constantly be looking to you, leaning into you. And as it said in this passage, keeping in step with your spirit, Father. So Father, we thank you for the work of Christ in our life. We thank you that his work is still alive and active in our lives. And we pray that your spirit would remind us of what we have because we are in Christ.